This is Smart Politics. I'm your host, Anthony Arnold. For the last few decades, the world seemed like a mostly stable place. The odds of conflict between major powers was low. And while there were still lingering questions, it seemed as if the answers to those questions were within our grasp. In particular, the 1990s was imagined as a decade that was going to herald in this new world. The internet had brought with it an unprecedented leap in technology. The economy boomed throughout most of the 90s, and the United States president, with his many flaws, was someone with the kind of youth and vigor that hadn't been seen since Kennedy. Globally, things seemed just as rosy. Russia was a declining power, and the EU had just been formed, ushering in a new era for Europe. Our relationship with China was only improving. Trade between our two nations was bringing us closer than ever, and many people imagined that the two of us would soon help spread this prosperous future to most of the world. It was certainly a nice dream, wasn't it? Suffice to say, things didn't turn out this way. Instead, we have the world of 2023, where Russia is at war with its neighbor, China continues to size up their own. The United States economy has had multiple shocks in the last 15 years, and the last two presidents aren't exactly spry. The EU has had some notable setbacks, and our Middle East policy seems just as muddled and aimless now as it did then. So what happened? How did the era of stability end? Is there anything that could have been done to stop it from ending? And what might the future look like? If the world of competition is returning, then everyone from world leaders to normal citizens has some catching up to do. So I hope our conversation today can help shed some light on exactly what the hell happened over the last few decades and what might happen over the next few. Let's begin. Francine, thanks for joining me. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, this is like high nerdy for both of us. Like, yes, this is uh, so warning, people. You're getting into the deep end of the pool with no, me. with like this is it. This is the <laughs> deepest of the deepest for us. Like, we are both foreign policy and history geeks. Yes. We, yes. we try not to let it show during normal. I shows. try really hard. I try. Um, I try to be quiet. But yeah, this is a deep end for both of us. Like this, this is this is the stuff we love. So, so I am obviously very excited for us to sort of yeah. geek out, nerd out, and, and hopefully both educate and yeah, like pontificate, predict, mm-hmm. uh, reflect, mm-hmm. yeah, reflect on what yeah. happened. I mean, you know, as I covered there, you know, the '90s, we thought the world. A lot of people thought that the rest of the the rest of time would look like the '90s. That the yeah. '90s was the beginning point, and it would only get better. It was the playbook for the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's mm-hmm. what people thought during the 90s. Uh, right. Again, the stuff I highlighted, I mean, that was the belief, mm-hmm. right? Was that, you know, as we trade with China, they'll only open their doors to Western liberal democracy as trade improves. And it's like, well, they took your money, uh, but not your democracy. <laughs> you can keep that, sir. <laughs> right. Right. I'm more than happy to take McDonald's, but... Uh, that other stuff, nah, y'all can keep that on the other side of the ocean. They can stay across the Pacific, okay? Uh, they don't want any part of that. You know, Russia has picked themselves up off the mat. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, they've watched the Soviet experiment is paying dividends in strange ways now. Ways that looked impossible when we defeated so when we defeated communism and, and the Soviet Union fell. You know, I'm specifically talking about, you know, I, I put this, I think I shared this piece, or I meant to maybe, about how uh, in the developing, and some of this is tied to a piece that, that will be coming out, or no, this piece has already come out by the time. This has already been published, so people yeah. definitely t- check out the article. Yeah, because um, that's some important context to this, but you know, in the piece I mentioned Africa, mm-hmm. um, and during, specifically during apartheid South Africa, the mm-hmm. Soviet Union was much more supportive of the anti-apartheid effort than we were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in general, 
they they had a more stable relationship with Africa than the Western world did. Um, And that has paid off now. Because if you look, Mm -hmm. one reason we struggle to isolate Russia with sanctions over Ukraine is because they have this base of support in Africa. Uh, They have a base of support with Iran, Mm -hmm. China, and Mm -hmm. their increased trade with India, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So these Soviet Union efforts that we thought hadn't paid off, they are paying dividends now. And, um, and it is having an impact, right? Yeah, it's having an impact. Yeah. Right. We have not been able to successfully isolate and punish them over what they're doing in Ukraine. We tried. But it turns out that this new, this new coalition, like I said, that's them, Iran, China, some degree, India, good chunks of Africa, especially sub-Saharan Africa, yeah. Brazil, along with some mm-hmm. other South American countries, Central American countries, they've been able to resist sanctions. Their economy, I think, is expected to grow like 0.5% this year, which isn't much, but yeah. it was supposed to contract. And so that's the point. <laughs> it's having, a, right. even though it's not the growth, I'm sure that they would want so many, or Russia. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oopsie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not the growth that they want. It's it is a bit of a spin in the face to those who thought that their economy would just be busted. Correct. They they're showing Correct. that you know they can as long as they can limp along. Correct. They're going to stay in this. They're going to stay right. in this. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's impacting Ukraine. We look at what's happening in the Middle East. It's very hard to isolate Iran. Who I said very. I am not a hawkish person, but when it comes to Iran, I am fairly hawkish. Even though I'm by default not a hawkish person, right. it's really difficult to isolate Iran when them Syria, Lebanon, backed by Russia, with all the other countries we we've talked about. It's really tough to sanction Iran into the ground. Um, and, and I don't think we. It's proof that we underestimated the ties that yep. Russia used this downtime between us and Russia to really reach out and strengthen their ties yeah. to the throwaway countries of the first world. You know, yeah. they whoever's your enemy is now my friend. And Correct. they are, they play the long game. And I think it does have a benefit to them. And it kind of stalls the impact that we're trying to make. But it does beg bigger questions, you yeah. know. Um, and, and I'm not sure what the answers are. Well, it begs bigger questions. And, you know, the, the one thing I get at in the piece and, and one thing that, that we're going to get into here is, you know, if we look today, the reality is there is this new coalition that is formed opposite of the Western coalition led by, you know, us, UK, France, Germany, Australia, uh, the traditional ones, the EU, us in the EU mm-hmm. with Australia, like Australia, Japan, um, uh, South Korea. You know, there was this, that coalition, and now there's a new one. And they've seen with Russia, they've seen with our inability to sanction Iran. They've seen with our inability to stop North Korea from building missiles. They've seen with our inability to properly stop China from, like, threatening Taiwan. Their coalition is strong enough that they can actually resist this coalition. Like, mm-hmm. that is the reality of the world as it is right now. They are not going to be bullied into withdrawing from Ukraine. China won't be bullied and to stop saber rattling about Taiwan. Iran won't be bullied and to stop like funding Hezbollah and Hamas and like a bunch of militia groups in Iraq and like the Houthis in Yemen. They're not going to be bullied into stopping it. You basically brought up three wars or three potential wars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to be bullied. Yeah. There's yeah. just a lot of conflict on the horizon when you sit back and you look yeah. at it. And yeah. what, uh, you know, I was wondering to myself, like, what? were we using differently that kind of held these things off? Or were we fooling ourselves, right? Because we used to hold democracy at the end of the stick of the trade deals that we used to make as a way to, uh, well, people have their different opinions about it. Some people said it was truly for the pure sense of spreading democracy around the world. Some people said it was one world government. Some said it was a uh, modern day colonialism. I don't know. Yes. Oh. It's, it certainly hasn't been as productive as we thought. Right. 
if you look at the piece, you know, I think we were fooling ourselves. I think it was just historical happenstance. Uh, Post-World Wars One and Two, uh, Europe couldn't you know, do anything. Well, we really that night, Eve, you said something really interesting yeah. in the piece, how we smack down these enemies and we go right back and we give them money. Yeah. Were we... I mean, I, I just don't understand. Were we really naive enough to think that that was going to be enough? I mean, the countries we gave money to are still allies. Like we we did turn Germany into an eventual ally and now sort of economic leader of the EU, though that is a bit iffy with some of the economic problems they've had. It worked with Japan. Um, some people think it worked too well with Japan. Uh <laughs> You know, I shared something on our Slack channel about, well, I, I read something, actually, I think I shared it in Slack. There's there's two different trilateral relationships in Asia. There's like us, Japan, and South Korea. There's also us, Japan, and Philippines. Um, <gasps> Philippines is a surprisingly big player in, in yeah. Asia. Um, but one concern Philippines has is that Japan has been too, too they're too complacent. That they they that Japan's is essentially an extension of U.S. policy. That's mm -hmm. why I mentioned that they kind of think it worked too well. Mm -hmm. That uh, instead of this being a trilateral relationship, it is merely a bilateral relationship where Japan acts as the hammer for U.S. policy. Right. Instead of yeah. existing independent of U.S. policy, Japan and the U.S. have like perfect alignment on policy in the region. Mm -hmm. Which means that this is not a trilateral relationship. Mm -hmm. There are mm -hmm. two actors trying to get Philippines to do the same thing. Yeah, I can see that. I can see, I can see how that would be seen that way. I'm not sure I completely agree. Right. Um, you know, Japan, just based on what I know of the culture, um, Japan does have its own agenda. Yeah. And as long as that agenda is not offended, then it's going to go along with the path of least conflict. Correct. If it benefits the agenda. Correct. Correct. <laughs> so, yeah. And I agree with you. I don't think that's an entirely accurate criticism, but like you said, I, I understand why from a matter of foreign policy, the Philippines might look at the relationship between Japan and U.S. and go, exactly how much distance is there between them? And they have been feeling picked on for a while, the Philippines. Correct, correct. They are uh, often just—they are often excluded in the discussion of power players in their region. It is—it is China, Japan, North and South Korea, Australia, and somewhere down that list, the Philippines. Uh, and right. Yeah, they—they right. they do not—they do not like this. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think we were naive—not uh, naive. I mean. We we lost. We were turning our attention to the Soviet Union post World War II. We started mm -hmm. to saw right afterwards that you know this is going to come to a head because they were an ally too, right? I mean, we kind yeah. of forget. Yeah, we were on the same <laughs> we were, side. We were we were on the same side. Yeah, everybody. World they, War II. Neither of us liked Hitler. We were like, nah, that guy sucks. Right, right. It, it wasn't so much that we were friends, but we were. We hated the same enemy. people. Yeah, yeah. yeah you had the common enemy. Um, and so, yeah, I think we we didn't imagine a world where the 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 poles of power would shift again. Mm -hmm. Where, mm -hmm. like I said, this new coalition would form. Now, I think some of that is actually all of it is inevitable. Um, mm -hmm. And for to illustrate this, I, I I think you know we could look at India. So India is this rising power, everybody yeah. knows now. But if you invite India into the Western coalition now, like do they want to be the 20th junior partner? <laughs> like, imagine it from their perspective. They're like, so you want us to be a part of this group who've been allies for like 70 years now. And where are we coming in? Well, we're gonna slot you in behind like UK, Germany, France, Australia, Japan. Uh Italy. I'm sure that they want to come to the table and be a big player, but I think at the right. end, you know, India is very, very diverse political right. uh, political space. And I think right. there's some in that space who wouldn't mind coming to the table because 
India is a land of extremes. They right. they have extreme wealth and technology, like they're doing some amazing things. They also have extreme poverty. There's still images that are real time right. of kids looking for food in trash heaps. So, right. um, but the question is, sorry, I don't. The question no, I want to try to frame it properly because the question is, do they want to be a junior partner in the Western relationship? or a major partner with like China and Russia? I think that they definitely want to be, I think they would make the case that they should be leveled up to a China. Right. Exactly. Right. So I, okay. Seeing your point there, I see your point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, because if we look, the reason they have chosen not to isolate Russia with the sanctions, they've increased trade with Russia. They don't want to be seen as a junior player in the Western coalition. They want to be seen as a major player in one of their own, Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I offering us a minor share. Absolutely. We could get a major share with China, Russia, Iran. We'd yeah. be at worst the fourth biggest player in that coalition. At worst. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and maybe yeah. they good might point. be the second biggest player. That's in the China, good point. Russia. Like we could be number four, number two. This yeah, is like yeah. it's like if you're going on a date. And you're like, and you're like, you know how you you know, right, right. You're like, what do I want to like? Look, like, you know, look, girl, you can be one of the in my stable. You know, I got a harem. You're not any more special than the other 19. Like, I want to be special to someone. Yeah, I don't want to be one yeah. of 20 in the harem. I, you know, I dig it, I dig it, and that makes right. total you're sense. Like, you want to be special to somebody, right? Right, and and India's been wanting this position for a long time. Right. Back when they started the whole Tata Rebellion, for those who are interested in that, look it up. They yep. they became the consultants to the world uh, yep. through the Tata Consultancy. Tata Motors was born out of that. All kinds of infrastructure came out of this, this yep. single-minded focus to support other businesses around the world. And people make yep. jokes about it, but they're making money, you know? Making money. So, yeah, so they so, have leveled up real right. quick. In that and they space. want to be treated as such. And they want their they respect. Wanted, so I'm they want to be special in a coalition, yeah. not one of 20. And so as your coalition, you know, as it grows and you bring in more players, there's actually less incentive for new people to join because they don't mm-hmm. want to join at the bottom. Right. Nobody does. Right? right. So we built this coalition of us in these Western countries, along with some of the Asian countries. But as it grew and 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 it became harder and harder to, to enter that coalition at a level that you want it, there's just more incentive to break away from it. Yeah. Like, yeah. of course, Brazil is like eyeing this coalition. Like, Brazil's like, we've never got any respect. Like, what are we? I mean, Russia's right. offered us some respect. They're like, hey, look. Yeah. We may not be yeah. India or China in this coalition, but we can yeah, give you a I better think deal that- than they can. Yeah, I think that the the catch is that, you know, one thing that's made clear by power players like Russia is that uh, it's not for for love of people or to build up your agenda. And I think that these countries, some of them are cognizant of what they're giving up, but some of them probably don't really understand what the partnership can mean down the road. Uh, In some ways, it may work for a country where they, Russia comes in and helps them to overthrow uh, a leader or a government and helps them do patrols. I'm not going to name the country. People can figure it out. But but in other ways, it might be a a soft takeover of their marketplace where, you know, they're not even going to bother taking over the country because they own your economy. So I think that... um, India, though, has enough umph to straddle that fence long yeah. enough to uh, get one or to get someone to up their offer. Yeah. And 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 it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well, to which deal they want to take. But before yeah. we go, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, because there's still so much. I'm not quite ready for us to, to leave, you know, because we were talking about, you know, people have heard about the Wagner Group. They've uh-huh. heard about, like, what is the Wagner Group doing in Africa? That's what I was well, alluding to. Right. Well, so we might as well talk about it. <laughs> okay. What they do in Africa is... I didn't know um, you were talking about it. All right. Well, no, because this is a perfect example. There are African nations that need militaries but 
cannot afford to domestically build one. And mm-hmm. the Wagner Mercenary Group, I mean, they'll loan them to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like the Wagner Mercenary Group, it's not that Russia is going there and pillaging, although the Wagner Group is doing some pillaging, but that is not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is to serve as the military force for Africa, for countries that cannot build powerful militaries on their own. Well, to That's be one clear, of the they're doing. sometimes they're loaning out these mercenary groups. Right, but also it's not like there are no militaries per se. It's really setting up an opposing side that has yeah. no access to resources yeah. to build a military. I mean, Correct. you can't fight a war with machetes, right? Correct. So Correct. they have come and really shored up opposing political yep. sides yep. and and created opportunities for people who could not oppose yep. um Yep. A, a political faction to now oppose them with force. And they've also helped put down rebellions. And they've well. also helped put down they rebellions. Have, so yeah. yeah they worked group. on all sides. But they're not loyal, I don't no. see, uh, no. to, to anything other than the contract. And yep. But that was one of the relationships that was nurtured a long, 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 long time ago yep. um, when uh, Russia decided to pick a side, uh, not just with apartheid, but on other colonial types of uh, ventures on the continent. But I don't, I I, I just think it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. I don't think it's going to end anywhere good for those who need Wagner or the Wagner. Um, No, no. It'll be interesting Um, to see how that story, how those stories come to an end. I I mean, I'm going to read this before we we move on, but this is the beginning uh, of an address from 1999. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Mr. President, for your kind and gracious words. Our warm welcome in Russia has been all that we expected of a country that has a very special place in the hearts of South Africa. That was Nelson Mandela talking Mm. about Russia. We all love Nelson Mandela. Now, listen, a long time ago, when I was in school, I remember that that was another reason to hate the Russians. Yeah. Because they were supporting the Correct. fight, the rebel, the, the rebels. They were anti-apartheid. <laughs> they were, well, they left that part out. Right. They're like, oh. But they, they were supporting the rebels. Anytime you put anything rebellious yep. and yep. and that whole order that was existing at the time, you know, the Afrikaners came in. That's not even yep. real people, by the way. We, I just got to rip that down. <laughs> they came in and tried to redo a whole narrative and origin story. It's kind of disgusting. Yep. But they, these people were fighting to, you know, generations in. And Russians were not necessarily on the ground. They made them sound like they were on the ground. I don't recall that through any of the reviews yeah. of history that I have. But, you know, I recall them being gassed up a little bit through some resources somewhere that allowed them to stay in the fight. Yep. And for some people yep. who believe they have a calling to fight a thing, that's all they needed, you know. That's all they need. And, 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 and I actually think this is a good segue to something I highlight in the piece, and I, and I had talked about it in our Slack channel. I really want to drive it home, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Both critics and proponents of American foreign policy make this exact same mistake, which is thinking that America can determine or has determined the shape of things. Well, if only we had done that better, this would not look this way. Or if only we do this now, it Mm -hmm. will look this way. Mm And I am, to, to do so robs other countries of their autonomy. Agreed. They do not Agreed. reflexively follow what we do. And they're not always reacting to what we do. Absolutely. They have autonomy Absolutely. of their own. They, uh, you know, what a thing. Yeah. They make decisions for their own reasons. <laughs> like, right. Their people aren't waiting on us. To, right. If to you're, live, if you're, yeah. Right. If you're the criticism of American foreign policy is that because of our mistakes, the world is the way it is. That is still an American-centered viewpoint. It is. We are totally negating the fact that people get to choose their response to right. whatever our foreign policy may be. Right. I mean, and in the telling of this story, what you'll say like, well, the reason India is leery of us is because of the British colonization in the 50s. India today 
is not doing things because of 1940 that robs them of their own autonomy. Like, like, you can't just go back forever and go, well, you know, we really screwed them in 1850. That's why they're still, that is not why they're still mad at us 180 years later. That's not, (laughs) that's not true. Okay. They have their own- Well, there's plenty of present stuff. (laughs) Right, right. And, And again, it robs them of their own capacity to make decisions that have nothing to do with you. Right. Nothing. Right. And on the flip right. side, the idea that if we make the right moves now, we'll be able mm-hmm. to shape what the world looks like in 10 years. No, you won't. No, you won't. Like, but trying to open up China via trade was the right move. Mm-hmm. And it didn't it matter. Has, you know what? It has served us well to a certain degree, but I think that we thought that they were going to stay where we were coming. Right. right. <laughs> and, and this is the perfect example of your point. Right. They want to become their own world power. Right. They want it because they want it. Period. 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 End of story. Every country has autonomy of their own. Like, full stop. So both critics and proponents really, really got to get over this. Like, it's so weird that both both sides share this same American-centric viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though they claim to believe very different things, they're still operating from the same place that whatever America does will dictate how things go. Mm-hmm. No. As I said in my piece, there are all sorts of foreign policy things where we don't get what we want. Like, right, like right. To look at the Middle East. There's a whole bunch of, it didn't work out the way we wanted it to. Speaking what? of. Speaking of. <laughs> I mean, speaking of. Like the elephant in the room is like. I was wondering if we were going to go there. I was wondering yeah, if we were going to go there. Yeah, but, but, yeah. But, but can we go back before we go to present time? Yeah, just, sure. Just a little bit. Um, so just in quick summary, um, I'm referring to Israel and yep. Gaza and that whole holy area that is central to at least three faith systems. Yep. Um, after World War II, I think we, the, the we I'm talking about, the, uh, America included, displaced a group of people. Yep. A whole group of people. We just like, we oopsie them, oopsie. You don't yep. have a place to, yep. let's find you a place over there. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And tied it to um, a, a popular prophecy. Yeah. And try to make it seem more real through that. And in the process, displaced another whole group of people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which has led to this back and forth all my life. I've never not known anything other. Most people alive today haven't. Yeah. Yeah. they, the fight, the Arab-Israeli war broke out the first day after British partitioning, and it has not really ever stopped. Um, and for people who don't know, the British inherited the area as known as broadly as Palestine post-World War I. The Ottomans had it. They lost it because they took the side of Germany in the world's stupidest war ever, which is World War I. Uh, <laughs> An irrelevant person is killed by an irrelevant assassin. Oh my gosh, yeah. I was going to bring up Everybody has to kill each other because an irrelevant right. person was killed by the world's worst assassin. Uh, yeah. And so Ottoman Empire joins. They lose. As a result, the Ottoman Empire is broken up. The British get control of Palestine. It goes poorly for them. Nobody likes them there. So they partition it after World War II. Uh, and in the partitioning, that's what Francine was just referring to, where they, they divided it. This is for the Jews, this is for the Palestinians, and uh, yeah, Arab and Israel, Arab-Israeli war started day one after the partition, so like 1947 or something. Right. Um, and that's been the state of things ever since, with it getting various degrees of hot and cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get more outbreaks of war, you get the Six-Day War in the 60s, um, which is where Israel, that's when Israel acquired Gaza, Gozan, and West Bank was in the Six Day War. Uh, they took Gozan Heights from Syria. They took the West Bank from Jordan. They took Gaza from Egypt, along with the peninsula. Um, yeah, that, and so they continued to spread. Yeah, yeah. and so they 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 took it there. The in, you know 
they won land the old way that we had that nobody liked after World War II because mm-hmm. expansion conquest basically was was more or less outlawed. Mm-hmm. Uh, not outlawed, but it was frowned upon heavily. Yes. That like yes. borders are the borders and you can no longer expand via conquering stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's done. You don't do that anymore. Well, you know, right? That's out of style now. Out yeah. of style. But after the six day <laughs> but war. But it's coming back. It's coming right, back. It's coming yeah. back. <laughs> Russia and China, it's coming back. Uh, yeah. Possibly Serbia and Azerbaijan. Like we could still expand via conquering, yeah. right? Maybe. Yeah. Or Armenia just displaced. Yeah, the Armenians are being yes. displaced uh, by Azerbaijan. Kosovo uh, yes, yeah. is being possibly the, Ser- the Serbia. Serbia is once again amassing outside yeah. of outside of Kosovo. Uh, yep, here we go again. And read that's of the nineties. The nineties are back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but only the bad parts. Uh, War so, and shoulder pads. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God! Right. <laughs> Fashion, fashion stuff. Wow. <laughs> but uh, so they expand there after the Six Day War. Yeah. Um, and, that's and that they, caused the that caused a whole different yes. uh, set of conflicts. Yes, like, because when they ex- well, and when they expanded, particularly in West Bank and Gaza. Yes. They expanded and took the territories. Egypt and Jordan withdrew. But the people who were left there, the Palestinians, were left stateless, no longer supported by Jordan or Egypt, and not integrated into Israel. And that's how you get the basic makeup of West Bank and Gaza today, um, where they are stateless. Uh, and it's sort of like um, a people without a home. Absolutely. And who are in their home. It's a, it's a weird yeah. paradigm. And then you have the people who were moved over there. And and then it makes you wonder why, you know, they were placed there in the first place and yep. and sold the narrative that they were sold. Yeah. And um, you know, there's there are, just go ahead. Oh, there are a lot of theories about that. There are a lot of theories about it. And I won't take us down any of these rabbit holes, but no. I think that that. There's some discussions that definitely need to be had. There's even some religious zealous types of conspiracies about this whole thing. So I say all this to say that with everything going on in Israel um, and Gaza, West Bank and all these areas with all of the heartbreak that is being experienced by the Palestinians and the Israelis. My heart goes out to these people who were just living their lives. And um, then in these political factions that uh, I guess Hamas being one of the, and I guess it depends on what part of the world you're in as to whether you call it a terrorist terrorist organization or not. Um, But the, the fighting that, you know, going in and, cutting people up and shooting people in their homes and then people being bombed and bombed in hospitals. It's all horrible. And um, on just the human level, I I wish that there were a clear path to peace. Yeah. And and I'll say, you know, I, I I don't want people to, to, to walk away from this episode sort of wondering where I stand on this, but I'm in favor of the one state solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the best possible would be if the entire area was, was basically was made Israel, mm-hmm. and if Arabs and and if Jews and Palestinians lived in the same country, it's not that mm-hmm. I don't think like I don't think that I think the two state solution. I don't think that would work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I posted before about West Bank and Gaza have very different politics because there are two different groups running each of them, and those groups hate each other. Yeah. It's not, uh, and if you had if Gaza and West Bank was one state. It would be one state that was like bisected by Israel. Mm-hmm. They're not connected. There's like a mm-hmm. large chunk of Israel that runs between those two areas. Mm-hmm. So you have one country that was like that had another country basically cutting it in half. Um, gotcha. West Bank would be landlocked. Gaza would mm-hmm. at least be on the on the Mediterranean, so it could become a port country. Mm-hmm. But West Bank would be totally landlocked. I have no idea what the economy of West Bank would even look like at that point. Mm-hmm. It would be mm-hmm. better that this was actually all a part of Israel, in my opinion, 
And the Palestinians were welcomed as like a full citizen minority of a country um, where they mm -hmm. had the full right to participate in the democracy. But this is just if I was king for a day. Now, I'm aware. I don't think either side wants this. But I don't think that. I mean, think about it. Like if you were there prior to yeah. World War Two, and you just yeah. walking around doo -doo 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 -doo, and you're going to your house and then all of a sudden yeah. they tell you that you have to. Right. change your whole life. You got to move right. out of your house because somebody else wants to move in. I mean, right. I think either, I think Israelis and Palestinians would both be offended by that oh. because honestly, in history, they both have been through that. You know, we're, we're seeing it yeah, play out in front of us in some ways, but they have both been through that at different times in history. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that that's what the Holocaust was about, right? And, and, and destroying, and just outright it. destroying them. Of that, like I said, I'm aware neither side actually seen. If you look at proposed solutions, the one state solution is like at the bottom. They don't actually want to. It would be ideal if they can come together in one government, yes. one state, but that level right. of trust is oh. always thwarted at the at the 11th hour of yeah. them negotiate. This is not the first time they tried to negotiate into this nope. space. I think the longer they have peace together, the more likely they will see that they're able to live together. But right. if these sorts of things keep happening, it, it makes it easier for them to hate each other. And, right. and, and it's an irony, right? Because it weakens the entire region with them fighting each other. All some enterprising mind has to do to exploit this is to, you know, sneak and, and make... It would make life horrible for both of both sides. So it, it's to their yeah. benefit long term. However, I'm on the outside and I'm right. not talking with the heartbreak and the, the fear and the disappointment and the rage that a Palestinian right. or an Israeli would have who has had to bury their loved ones. So I want right. to be sensitive to that. Um, long term, I think it would be great if they can heal and become. Right. You know, because at one time they were living together. You know, history Correct. caused us to forget Correct. that they were neighbors and community. Right. And in this space. And right. here in America, I work with Palestinians and Jews, and we talked about Indians. We're all like working and living together here. And there's nothing special about here. You know, it's not right. like we have magic water. So no. if we can do that here, then I would hope that we can do that there for the sake I mean, of the people. They can, they deserve a break. I, I mean, it's been I a think, lot of fighting. This will sound really bad to people. I think there is something special about here. I said this to you in a chat. <laughs> That yes, I, I knew not, you were gonna go there. I, knew you were I go. think the existence of small L liberal democracy has made us into the country. It's not that we got it because we deserved it, we got it because we were lucky, but its existence has allowed us to build something. But where did that come from? It came from the will of the people. So all I'm saying right. is that if that will exists, right? But I think the liberal democracy itself eases the tensions that might exist like a multi-ethnic country is possible in a country where those tensions can be diffused via regular elections or changing of officials or i said before if you don't like joe biden you can get a sign that says f joe biden and go stand in front of the white house and joe biden can't do yeah. nothing about it you can stand there every day what's a sign He's like i hate you joe biden and i hope you, you can even it. say in this country you can say right. Uh, as whatever God people believe right. in. And, right. and, and still, like, but yeah, yeah. People be mad at you, but like yeah. the government can't stop you. And I say, look, right. the countries we're discussing in the Middle East, you can't tell Bashir al-Assad that you don't like him in Syria. That's not an option. <laughs> you can't say that in Iran. You can't say that in Saudi Arabia. They chop off, they dismember journalists in embassies. And they're oh, one Lord. of our allies. That's what. That's how they get down. Okay. You can't tell Hezbollah go kick rocks in Lebanon. You can't tell Hamas to, to to go eat it in Gaza. You and was the way Israel's been looking. It's getting a little dicey about. We're like, eh, are they 
still a liberal. They're still holding on by a fingernail to being a liberal democracy. But BB no. has made us wonder. We're like, eh. eh now, there have been some issues about Netanyahu, and we have to talk right. about him in a different space. But he certainly doesn't lean into the leader no. of a liberal democracy that you're talking about. No. And some people say that that's part of the problem. I don't know yet. I need to dig in and do a little bit more. Well, I know, but let's just say that I would feel more comfortable digging in yes. and doing a little bit more yeah. current research yeah, uh, say, on this you know, American-born Jewish right. leader. And I'll say the point that I'm making is like, anytime the people are not free, anytime the style of government does not allow the people to be free mm -hmm. in their expression in their choice it makes problem solving virtually impossible it is the absence of actual freedom not in this weird chest thumping flag waving way but like the freedom we have to come on this show and discuss how we feel even if that is out of step or out of touch or in opposition to our government i don't think either of us worries about dudes with black bags showing up at our door like, mm -hmm. that is a thing you cannot do in some of those places. Yeah. And it is the absence of that, that that I personally think is really undermining it. But I also want to point out, I want to circle back before we move slightly forward to the last part of this one. I know we're running long, but like yeah. something I had mentioned, you know, I don't want to make the mistake I said, like by viewing this through the American lens. I think it's worth pointing out that part of what's happening is... We talked about coalitions. Mm -hmm. So Israel, as most people may be aware of, had started making overtures towards Saudi Arabia. Their relationship with Egypt has long since improved since like the Six Day War. Them and Egypt have had a, a fairly fine relationship for decades now. They had a bit um, of a backslide with the whole Egyptian yeah. Jewish uh, yeah. Yeah. debacle. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it's largely stabilized over the last few decades. Yeah. And in the last three years, they had reached out to make overtures to both Jordan, another participant mm -hmm. in the Six-Day War, mm -hmm. and Sudan, another participant in the Six-Day War. So mm -hmm. there's this kind of like Israel, Saudi Arabia, Egypt kind of pact forming with like Sudan and Jordan. Um, but there's also the Iran, Syria, Lebanon, like Yemen pact, right? Mm -hmm. So part of what's happening is not it's not related to us. It's the power politics of the regional players. Like mm -hmm. no matter what we do, Iran, Syria, and Lebanon are on a crash course with Israel, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. And it has nothing to do with us. It's because each of these And things, Egypt too, even though Egypt is standing down right now. I mean, Egypt. If Israel forms a new pact with Israel, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia, oh, I get it. I think that is the sort of power center mm -hmm. that they would like to sort yeah, of dictate yeah. larger regional affairs, right? Right, right. And then sense. you have the Iran-Syria-Lebanon pact. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what we do, these groups are going to come to a head. Yeah, yeah. Because each of the, these groups are different. And mm -hmm. they each want to dictate regional politics in their own way. Right. So this isn't about, you know, like, this isn't about, sure, the history matters. But at the core of it, I actually think, look, this is a regional dispute that is coming to a head one way or another. Like, right. uh, they're using the Palestinian-Israeli stuff as a proxy. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, like, these are three or four power players in the region who want to be able to dictate how things go in their region. And they are going to come to a head no matter what we do. Based on what uh, you're saying, it seems like it almost has to happen. I think my, I would prefer for it to happen diplomatically. But that's me being an American, and I really shouldn't have any say about how people operate in yeah, their own region because like, we do have a bad habit of doing that from America. Right. Um, they're going to have to work it out their way. Um, Along with Turkey that, being the interloper, by the way, because Turkey is sort of and the I land bridge between Turkey. Europe. Because they're the land bridge between Europe and Middle East. And Middle East, so they yeah. They always kind of play the interloper for us. Yeah. So whatever yeah. happens, they're going to have a say because they are the interloper between Europe and Middle East. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess so, we kind of would have a say because 
we're the ones who are called on to support in some way or fashion in right. that region. So we yeah. support that other group. We support the Israel, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt group. But you know who's supporting that other side? That would be Russia and China. That yeah, other yeah, yeah. pack that we talked it's about It's like earlier. another proxy they war. Are, Don't get me started. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, and so then to move forward to the very last part that we'll get to briefly, because I mentioned this in the article, you know, the importance of the leadership we're going to choose. Because what we're talking about is this unsure world, right? Where things are going to get more unsure than they've been in a long time. Um, and I wanted, I didn't highlight this in the piece, but I wanted to highlight it now briefly. You know, as we so often do, we get, you know, I was going to say we're nerds. So like history, right? Right. World War II, us and England, Great Britain, you know, we are fortunate enough to have FDR and they had the return of Churchill, like who had been out of politics and had kind of fallen out of favor. And then oh, yeah. in World War II, he comes like storming right back, back in. Uh, right. and, and the reason this is important is because if, if I, I think people know this, some people, mm -hmm. some people may not. Mm -hmm. There was a contingent of Great Britain who, who thought they could uh, pacify Hitler. Yeah, I think it was Chamberlain, wasn't it? Chamberlain who thought, well, if we I'm just so negotiated, they thought that they could negotiate a settlement with Hitler. And Churchill was like, "There is no settling with Hitler. We're going to have only to that, die." Not only that, they connected with some Americans and maybe some right. others who were of the same belief. Exactly right, yeah. and, and, mm -hmm. and it wasn't because they didn't care about the Jews or anything like that. It was that this group thought. Well, you know, he'll be reasonable. We'll talk right. to him. We'll make a deal, mm -hmm. especially in the British side, because they were looking at France. They're like, I don't know, man, looking kind of bad for France in this war. <laughs> we don't want to be France, right? Like, so let's yeah, make a they, deal. it wasn't. And that, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because it wasn't like and I, I know this is no excuse. It wasn't like their role was to be anti-Jewish, because sometimes we draw those distinctions in this war. Right. This war was about a lot of different things. Correct. And um but they didn't, they did see the way other countries were going, who were against the Germans. Yeah. And it was for the preservation of, of their way of life. And there was something else that slips my mind, but I'll have to look it up later. But you're absolutely right to well, bring that up. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. Well, because, you know, if you're looking, um, uh, you know, if you're looking at, at like, if you're looking at World War II, then you're looking at that point, you know, when this was happening, you know, they're looking at, they're looking at like Poland um, mm -hmm. and, you know, Poland, it, it did not, it did not go well for Poland. <laughs> As people probably know, <laughs> it did not, it did not go well for Poland. Um, right, right. Uh, and they're looking at France, which, which had lost, like France was losing. France had lost to Germany. That's why we mm -hmm. had to like land at Normandy and liberate France later on. Mm -hmm. so and the whole underground thing, yeah. Right. So Great Britain is looking at this going, you know, do you want to be France? Maybe we can talk to them. You know? Yeah. yeah. Keep them off our little island. Um, and it it seems ridiculous now because right. I don't think there's any doubt that that like the same way Hitler eventually turned and betrayed the Soviet Union, mm -hmm. he would have betrayed Great Britain. As soon as he got done and rebuilt, I have no doubt Hitler would have invaded Great Britain, even though they thought they had to deal with them. Mm -hmm. uh, but it just so happened that they were fortunate enough that they had Churchill when they needed him. Because mm -hmm. he correctly recognized who Hitler was, what he stood for, and gave and a, a lot of people still didn't know. And a lot of people still like, didn't understand this whole will, world domination right. thing. Yeah. He understood and said, we will fight him to the last man and woman if we have to. If He, yeah. he will have to basically kill every person on this island before I give in. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and he gave these inspiring speeches and radio addresses where he whipped up the war effort. And mm -hmm. while it did not always go well for Great Britain, mm -hmm. Great Britain held out long enough that then Japan attacked us and we got in. Right. And had Great Britain just given up from the beginning, Germany probably turns their full attention to Europe. Mm -hmm. They don't have to worry about fighting this multi-front war. Mm -hmm. Who knows what happens, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. but it, 
that was a long-winded, this long-winded story was like, it mattered who they had in charge when things went pear-shaped. That's we haven't point. had to consider that because things have not gone pear-shaped in so long. Mm -hmm. I think we have <laughs> forgotten who we put in office is going to matter now because leadership matters. Yeah. Things could get yeah. dicey again. Mm -hmm. Like if, if China does invade Taiwan, who we have in charge is going to matter because that is going to be like, Oh buddy, you are, you are dancing on a nice edge and such a you're good gonna point. Some, you're going to want someone who can dance. That is and, such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that. That is awesome point. Yeah. And it's not, and look, I don't want to criticize these guys. I know, <laughs> but I'm like, look, man, do I do I really want like an 80 something year old man that's dealing with like China, Taiwan? Not necessarily. I know that might be my only choice. I know. I'm aware. I know. We won't talk about that. So but, you keep going back to that. But, but it matters. But, but before before we go, before we go real quick, yeah. the Republicans who are currently right, who do you think among them could be our Winston Churchill of the when it goes parachute? Yes. Of the Republicans, the only person I would trust is Nikki Haley. Because at least mm -hmm. she's done some foreign policy stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, she's the only one who I would trust that, like, if things went, eh, eh, that doesn't mean I love her. But mm -hmm. you're asking me to choose between who they currently have running. Mm -hmm. It ain't it ain't DeSantis. I've said before he ain't got the choice. <laughs> got I'm the you know what man. I'm surprised? I know why you picked Haley, simply because she's the one on the stage that I believe has some of the most active and most right. current foreign uh right. policy experience. But I'm surprised you didn't pick Christie. I worry he's not diplomatic enough, that he's mm -hmm. too belligerent for his own good. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That like if he gets it, that if you that like Chrissy will try to bully. And I'm like, in a situation with China, I'm like, can't what happens if he's in a room with Xi Jinping? I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> he seems really belligerent for that kind of like high-level fraught negotiation, right? Yeah. Um, he also doesn't have any experience doing it. And that and that will matter, I think, about like uh Human Missile Crisis or the Bay of Pigs, mm -hmm. where clearly, like having the having this guy who didn't really know the lay of the land, mm -hmm. he just got gobbled up. Like Kennedy got. This is true. He was just so right. too, <laughs> too small new. for the yeah yeah. Too this small. Is, he got chewed true. up. Yeah. Just, yeah. And I'm like, I, I need someone who's been in sort of those rooms before, who I know mm -hmm. if I put you in a room, you know when to you know when to to floor the pedal, and you know when to like mm -hmm. tap the brakes. And I think that Christy yeah. is like all gas, no break. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, that he has mm -hmm. so much pride that he'll never want to back down. But sometimes, like backing down and letting that other foreign leader who has autonomy, mm -hmm. let them be an autonomous person and express their viewpoint without feeling like it is somehow a personal offense to you. Mm -hmm. Like, look, Xi Jinping has things he wants to say because he's the leader of a country. And sometimes you just right. gotta step back and let right. him say his piece. Like, he's been holding it for a while now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's a prideful man, the same way any yeah. national leader is. They're prideful people. Sometimes you got to let them say their right. piece and be like, hey, look, yeah. you know, I'm going to let you do your thing. Like, like, like Kanye with the Taylor Swift, be like, look, I'm going to let you finish, <laughs> but that was the greatest video of all time. You know what I mean? Right. You got to let, you got to step back and be like, look, I don't agree with Xi Jinping, but I'm going to let you go ahead and get this off your chest. That way you can go back to your country and be like, I really gave it to the U.S. president. Like, I really told him what for. Yeah, He's got to do his thing, and you got to let him do his thing. Right. And I don't think Christie can do that. I think Nikki Haley can do that. Ron DeSantis can't do any of it. Um, right. Tim Scott is MIA. I think he's still, he's just... He's in the Cory Booker of a nice man. You, sir, are in the well, very much. The wrong, you're in the right. wrong party and well, possibly the wrong profession. Yeah, I think that I don't put him in the same school as Cory Booker because <laughs> he, he, we'll just talk about that later. But um, but I think I agree with you. Nikki Haley is the only one yeah, on the Republican side that gives me any type of comfort in that type of space. Right. Which, you know, is surprising that hasn't been recognized by the Republican Party. And and I'll say this 
And yes, I know this will sound funny coming from me. Mm-hmm. And I know it will. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I I look at Nikki Haley, and while I disagree with her on many things politically, mm-hmm. I suspect she has some of the same traits that Hillary Clinton had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I suspect you will know what I'm talking about. When you are a, a women who have made it that far, mm-hmm. have experience dealing with, let's say, rooms full of difficult men. Yeah. yeah. Nikki Haley has dealt with many difficult men in the Republican I'm Party. Sure. I'm sure she Xi Jinping does. would not be the first difficult, prideful man she has handled. Right. Right. Just like for Hillary Clinton. She's like, oh, <laughs> handling world leaders. How do you think I made it this far? Right. Have you met my husband? <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was like, she goes hey. on to one. So, yeah. She goes on to one. So, they have experience with the sort of delicate handling of sensitive man babies <laughs> that lead much of the world. <laughs> Vlad's throwing a tantrum. Oh my God! Really, really. And Vlad. still being unbothered. So. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Nikki's done it. Yeah. Hillary had done it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said, Jewel. I suspected as someone I, with your background, you understand. Yeah. Yeah. Women don't make it that far in politics without handling difficult, crybaby, prideful, mm-hmm. arrogant, mm-hmm. belligerent men. Okay. I wish that wasn't the case. That's why I suspect that wasn't the case either, but yeah. it's belligerent people, period. But men certainly because they're still the gatekeepers. Yeah. In a lot of respects. Before we go though, real quick, I want to have some yeah. in an imaginary world. Yeah. You brought up Hillary Clinton, Nikki yeah. Haley. If they were in a contest for the highest office, who do you think would take it? Who do I think would take it? Yes. Uh not who I want. Nikki. Okay, who, who do you want? Win? I would yeah. want Hillary. Would but Nikki would win. win. But Nikki would. Okay. Yeah. The, the, Why? Why do you think it's Nikki? This country has like a deep abiding dislike of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> it's a deep, a <laughs> bone deep hatred of Hillary Clinton. Do, all Hillary has to do is replay some of the tapes where she predicted what was going to happen. Hey. <laughs> hey, look, you preach it in the choir. <laughs> I said before, she told y'all some of these people were deplorables, and y'all was like, that's me. Now she's sipping, she's somewhere <laughs> sipping tea, like with that Kermit mean. She's sipping all the tea going, mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. I told y'all what he was, and y'all was like, how dare you say that some of these people are like this? They're not. These are honest-to-God patriots, okay, who tried to overthrow the country. Yeah. And some of them are being convicted for crimes. I told you that they were deplorable. Right? Including the but, so, but yeah. But I mean, I would prefer Hillary in that in that matchup. I supported Hillary when she ran. I okay. and the reason I supported her was so clear. I told people repeatedly, that lady has the chops, she's got the experience, she's got the brain, she does the research, she has binders of homework that she does on every topic. She's almost always the most well-informed person in any room she steps into. And she has experience handling these men. And that's what you want from a world leader. So I would totally support Hillary Clinton. I think Nikki Haley would win. Um, I think it would be a fascinating race. I have said before, uh, not to cut Nikki off Haley, Kamala, not to not to take anything away from Kamala Harris. But. Well, the Kamala Nikki matchup would be like uh, I as a person who loves a bit of chaos. I would love watching people because first off, we'd have like this what matters more? Like, mm. She's Indian. Yeah, she's yeah, black. She's Y'all, it's really about to get your brain like, oh no, what do we, how do we, well, should well, we root for the first? Is both. Kamala is both. Right. Like, who's more Indian? The yeah. media would freak out. Who's really Indian among them? Okay. Who's really like, is Kamala really Indian or is she actually black? Is Nikki really Indian? She's kind of light-skinned. It. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm already like, y'all's gonna freak out. You've yeah. seen it with her and Ramsweeney when I'm like, yeah. yo, like, he looks Indian. Look at him. But she looks, yeah. you know, like a white lady. I'm like, ha I can already see yeah. your little brains. Like, the synapses <laughs> are firing as you try to wrap your head around like a light-skinned Indian person. You're like, oh, what do you yeah. mean they don't all look like a boo from The Simpsons? What? Yeah. What are you... What do you mean she's Asian? Asians are from Japan and Korea. Everyone knows Indians are. Wait, what? 
hold up, what do you mean Indians are Asians? What? Huh? Stop it. Like, so like am I like I want Nikki Haley to be the nominee purely for the comedy of watching people trying to like square square all of this and like break their little stupid little boxes. Um, she's done a good job of it playing into racial ambiguity. Correct. So she, doesn't, she doesn't say that she's not, but if you don't ask it, she won't tell it. Right. And and I get and you know something because I'm looking it up now, and I and I think it's worth uh people probably don't know this about her. Um, we know her as Nikki Haley. Her her born name is, is Nimrata Nikki Radhawa. So, you know. Haley's her married name and Nikki is a derivative of her middle name. Yeah, so, yeah. And yeah. so it's... Um, but she doesn't you know, go by her any parts of her Indian name. Either. Correct. And that's something... People Ramaswamy should chew does. on. Yeah. Right. Ramaswamy yeah. does. People should perhaps chew on why it is that that this person with um, I mean, if we're being like just being, you know, like it, it's 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 this very sort of uh pretty sounding name. Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. very lyrical and, and it's like you know, it's 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 a unique lyrical sounding name. Um why she felt the need to, to throw away her her heritage. I knew where, I knew where you were going. I knew people you, should I wonder. People will wonder. Some people will wonder out loud. People will question. Yeah, because I bet and, there are people who don't know. But her, will it be her name's not actually Nikki Haley. <laughs> yeah, it's not Nikki Haley. No, it is not. It's um, not her. Yeah, I forget. Why she felt the need to anglicize herself. Mm, that might be a story in and of itself. So, yeah. There's a little, there's, uh, there's and that doesn't mean you have to like her. But you should look at her journey and, and just, you know, she felt the need to, 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 to do all that, to suppress this part of herself in order to rise in this, in this political system. And we should, when you're talking about her or trying to, trying to predict one day what she'd be like as a politician, I would go, you know, the need to suppress one's ego is a valuable skill in a politician because other people have autonomy and desires of their own. <laughs> and sometimes you go in a room and you get to be the big person in that room. And sometimes you got to go in there and you got to lower yourself a little bit. Submit a little Check bit. Check yourself. Yeah. Check yourself. Allow this other person to, to exercise, to, to share the, to, to, to take the spotlight. But we don't know if that's what she's doing. So to be continued. To be continued. And that's why, like, if you asked me to choose among her, I would go, like, that's who I would choose because I think she's done some of this probably. That's why I supported Hillary Clinton because I was like, I know Hillary. I know Hillary has done this to make it this far. Right. And if we're looking at, like, this to go back to what we're talking about as we wrap up, like, part of what you will have to do, part of what we will have to find politicians to do as they navigate this tricky world is – when is the time to check yourself and your ego at the door? And when is the time to press your case and like go go for the win? Um, you know, it's the dance, that dance of politics. Um, you know, that and again, we haven't needed elected officials who can do that on a foreign stage for a long time because we, we were the only person on the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's out there, you know. Yeah, exactly. out there doing a solo act, baby. Like, out here on my own. They playing all my songs. Right. You know what right, I mean? The right. U.S. and the Western Coalition were like, "This is just one big solo routine." <laughs> we're just out there. But now all of a sudden, other people showed up. We're like, well, "Hold up, hold up!" The I'm still, like, "Nah, man. Like, what? Yeah. Why are you playing that song? Okay. What do you mean you got? I got to share the dance floor. I don't. What do you mean I can't be in the middle? You know, yeah, yeah, we thought yeah. the whole thing was going to be like just a loop, like a soul train. We were the only people on soul train, baby. It was just us every time. It we got like, to the end, yeah. went right back to the start. It's our turn again, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's always America's turn. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just want people to imagine like Joe Biden and soul train. You know what I mean? Like, oh just my imagine. Gosh. 
There's the magic. I can, I can imagine Clinton more than anybody. Clinton, know. Know, Clinton is playing the music with his facts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's, <laughs> he's back there. Got Arsenio on backup, like yeah, yeah, he's yeah. doing it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but like that's how it was. It yeah, was just us yeah. forever. Yeah. An endless yeah. loop. And now yeah. other people are cutting in. Yeah, and, uh, that's true. We're gonna need leaders who, who can deal with that. So yeah, that's a funny way to sort of end it, but it is true. It's kind of a true way. As you know, Francine, you know, people who know they listen to my shows. I try to describe things in these like really kind of funny but memorable ways. Yeah. Uh, because you may not remember a lot of things, but I bet you'll remember the image of like Joe Biden and Soul Train. Like, <laughs> that's gonna stick with you. I, You're like, I, that's I, kind I of what foreign policy that. is, actually. I, I feel like we're gonna get an AI image of that. You know what I mean? There's people playing the music, right? right. And, each, and each leader gets their turn in the spotlight. Like, that's what foreign policy is like. There you go, Daniel. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Really good. So. Thanks for joining me, Tracy. Thank you for letting me ride along. I appreciate it. No, this was a blast as always. And, and as always, I want to encourage you all, the audience, continue the discussion on Facebook and Instagram. Like all of our shows here, this podcast is brought to you in part by Yag Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians and Pointcast News. To listen to our podcast or read our latest articles, you can visit our website at pointcast.news or subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and make sure you join us next time.